Be sure to check out our website, planetfearpodcast.com, for links to our social media, contact information, and our latest episode. The world is a fearful place. We are surrounded by people and things that would do us harm. Some walk among us every day, while others lurk in the shadows, a threat unknown. Join us as we discuss all of the things that frighten us most, from the paranormal and unknown, to the true and horrific crimes committed by our very own kind. With Matt Knapp and Lauren Smith on Planet Fear. Are you afraid of dying? Yes, but not for the reason that that most would think. Well, you're a mother. Yes. While I'm a stepfather, I would always tend to think, in the terms of a parent, Mm -hmm. that the idea of dying and leaving your children behind Mm -hmm. would be terrifying. Yes. Did you spend much time worrying about death or thinking about dying before your children um no not really i've i've kind of always been a not that worried about it a normal person (laughs) i I mean no because i feel like normal person do worry about it normal people will not get themselves into situations which might cause their death whereas (laughs) i'm not really that worried about it i would rather live all out but oh, un- until I, I had kids and I then hated you until I had kids and then no uh the the thought of leaving my kids without me to take care of them was my biggest fear is my biggest fear I don't know if it was I'm sure it had something to do with being raised by my great grandparents there was like a huge generational gap there you know being a little kid not just you know there's lots of kids raised by their grandparents, but this was my great grandparents. Mm-hmm. And so at night, laying in bed, already scared of other things going on in the house. Mm-hmm. And you're just laying there with your thoughts, getting ready to fall asleep. As far back as I can remember, the idea of death was the most terrifying thing out there. Losing them, knowing that someday they're going to be gone which would boil over into someday I'm going to be gone regardless of faith or religious beliefs we don't know Mm -mm. it's something that we don't know what happens yeah if we go with science kind of a gloomy picture (laughs) yeah a little bit (laughs) and for some reason just uh, the the thought that even though it happens to everybody and nobody gets to escape it that we know of, mm-hmm. lest, you know, if the vampires would like to come forward, now would be the time. Um, don't really come forward. <laughs> you see me over here looking around for garlic. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, everybody dies. Everybody dies. I've, I've never really worried about it that much. Um, I was always, before I had kids, I was I didn't want to die because I didn't want my mom to be sad. Mm-hmm. So my whole life, I the only reason that I was ever worried about going was because I didn't want to leave her sad and brokenhearted or my loved ones or whoever. And then when I had kids, it's I don't want them to not be taken care of. So it's it's never really been I'm scared of death or dying or pain or whatever. It's it's I'm scared of leaving my loved ones without me. Did you experience much death when you were younger? 
people dying around you or anything? Uh, no. So I didn't really, the first person I ever lost was my grandfather a few years ago. And I just lost my grandmother last year. That one was hard. That was the first close death mm-hmm. to me. I didn't really experience a whole lot of that, but I died when I was about 18 months old, or I think I was like two. So that might be why I'm not so scared of it. <laughs> I don't know. Just throwing that out there. So one of the things that you and I have discussed before partnering up for this show even, mm-hmm. not just this episode, but the show in general, you and I both met through the Bigfoot world. Mm-hmm. After knowing you and you knowing me, I would assume you'd say the same thing. Maybe not. In normal circumstances, we are not the type of people that you find in the Bigfoot community. Like, no. you had your foot in the door regardless, <laughs> you know, through, through your family and everything. Right. But I'm saying, like, if your mom hadn't been a Bigfoot researcher, right. the chances are you probably wouldn't have ever picked it up. But for some reason, you did. Mm-hmm. You've also experienced paranormal stuff, as I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also talked about UFOs. You run across other people in your life who, once you get to talking to them, you realize there seems to be some sort of weird connection. It's not like, oh, yeah, I saw a ghost one time, or I think my house was haunted. Mm-hmm. I've also seen a UFO. I've encountered Bigfoot. I've encountered this. I've encountered that. The list goes on and on. And it seems like those people somehow find ways of connecting in life. And another way, another connection that you and I have is we both have died. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think the odds of that are really high. Mm -mm. It's a very personal thing. It is. Uh, But that's kind of why I wanted to do this episode was to talk about that our own personal experiences and to put the message out there to others listening Mm -hmm. if you've noticed this connection yeah uh or experienced it yourself you know reach out to us because you're not the only one out there right and Uh, it's you know another aspect of it that i know i've discussed with my mom at least um because again through her i've come into contact with others like yourself who have had this same thing is that It seems like the few people that I've met that have passed and come back, they seem to have, I don't know if extra abilities is the way to say it, or um, they're more aware of things than normal people Mm -hmm. are. That would be the way to say it. You know, they, they have different gifts or they're just, you know, more aware of certain things going on than usual people are they just so two years old mm-hmm. i'm guessing you probably don't remember it i don't remember it what have you been told what what happened so my mother um her best friend had a son i think i think at the time he was like he was he was older than me he might have been like eight to ten years old uh he was mentally challenged so my mom used to take care of him And so she took me over to her friend's house and she was going over there to take care of Kenny and her friend had a pool and it was, I don't know what time of year it was. I do know that it was not swimming time, but I was begging her, mama, please, mama, can I go swim? Mama, can I go swim? Mama. 
And she said, no, I didn't bring your bathing suit. You can't go swim. Just trying to, you know, this is Mm -hmm. why we can't go swim. So then she put me in the, there was like a little area that stair stepped down. It was a little lower level and it had all the equipment she used for Kenny, you know, different exercise equipment and rehabilitation Mm -hmm. equipment and stuff. She put me in there with Kenny and she went to go do something and she shut the door and she was in there doing something in another room and she noticed that I wasn't right there with her because it was just a simple, you know, mm-hmm. doorknob. I, I'm not trying to brag. I'm telling it as she told it. Right. I was a very bright young child and I was also very clingy and I still am very clingy to my mom, but I was always able to open doors and find her wherever she was. Um, <laughs> As a lot of kids are. <laughs> yes. Uh, my children are like that. So I would always, you know, she would leave me in there and then I would open the door and go find her. Well, she noticed that I wasn't up her butt and she thought that was odd that I usually would have come found her to ask something by now. And so she went to go look for me and she looked in that room and I wasn't in there. And she said, that's weird. And so she kind of looked around the house and she couldn't find me. And she was like, oh, my God, the pool. And so she ran to the sliding glass door and she looked out and the gate was closed and she couldn't see me. She's like, "Okay." She's like, well, where is she? I'm going to go check that room again. You know, maybe she's hiding behind something. So she runs back to that room and she can't find me. And at this point, she's freaking out. So she she's running. She searches the whole house all over again. And then she realizes she gets this feeling the pool. And so she opens the sliding glass door, which was shut, and she runs to the gate, which was shut, and opens that, and she sees me in the pool. I'm in the deep end, and all she could see was a little patch of the top of my head sticking up out of the water, but the rest of my body, everything was underwater, and I was taking my last little stroke. And so she jumped in, pulled me out, she gave me CPR. I think so this was an Altis, and she was only like a block or two away from the hospital so she didn't even wait for an ambulance she just like loaded me in the car and went to the hospital they had to get me breathing again they gave me a shot and I don't remember what she said the shot was she said they pulled it out of the freezer and it had like steam coming off of it anyway when she got me there I wasn't breathing and so they got me breathing again they gave me the shot of whatever it was and then she said it was like all of a sudden the light flipped and I was this god-awful little two-year-old into everything I was into all the cabinets she said it was like I never even drowned she said jumped up like (laughs) you know like raging toddler but she said um you know after that like she was just so thankful that I was okay but I had asked her I said you know she had always told that story and I was like oh my gosh like that's just crazy but I'm not scared of water actually I'm I actually love water I'm obsessed with water like I I'm a water baby Mm. I will go swimming any chance I get Um, I actually so I take a shower every morning and I also take a bath every night and just lay in the tub and relax like that is my happy place is in the shower or the bath oceans you know whatever like I love water I love being in it so I, I, most people would be scared, I guess, after yeah. almost drowning or drowning, but I'm just not, I am nervous about water with my children. And that's the thing I asked her after I became a parent, one, I took one look at my newborn baby and I looked at her and I'm like, how, how did you survive that? Because I wouldn't have survived that with my and then sanity like, intact. 
every time you get around water after that. Yeah. Well, she said, honestly, she said, I wouldn't have survived if you hadn't. She said, as I was holding you on the way to the hospital, she said, I was already planning how to take my own life if you didn't make it. And she said, and that's really crappy because I had your older brother. She said, but knowing that you died that way, she said, I couldn't mentally handle that. Anyway, as a parent now, I'm very, very cautious of my kids in the pool <laughs> and in the bathtub. I'm, I don't try to helicopter parent, but when it comes to water with my kids, oh yeah, way overprotective. That's amazing. Pretty interesting that I've known you and your mom this long, and this is the first time I've heard the story. Yeah. I just think it's, it's amazing to me how her intuition, that mother's intuition, mm-hmm. how she just the pool she just kept being in the pool and she ran out there and so i had gotten out of that room shut the door went to the sliding glass door opened it shut it behind me went to the gate opened it shut it behind me and jumped in going swimming <laughs> i was going swimming by god and um i think it's interesting how close my mother and i are to this day i if i'm feeling anxious for no reason and I call her, she's feeling anxious about something. Like something's gone on and I'm feeling what she's feeling. Mm-hmm. Or I'll be thinking, I need to call my mom just to check on her and she'll call me. And I mean, this is like all the time this stuff happens. All the time. And I don't know if it's that bonded us or it's just the mother-daughter bond. But when I say like my mom is my best friend, she's... I mean it. Like, she's more like a sister to me. Like, she's a mom and a sister and a best friend. Like, right. we're very, very right. close. And, yes, I have always been a clingy child. Like, up her butt is where people used to describe me. But, I mean, that literally <laughs> saved your life. But she saved my life. And I think, I mean, I'm not attributing all of our bond to that, but I think that might have a lot to do with it. That she literally did CPR. Thank God she knew CPR and she saved my life. And then I almost died when she was giving birth to me as well. I was breech. Every time she would have a contraction, it was crushing me. They had to give her a C-section to get me out. And I was almost gone. And so she almost died giving birth to me. I almost died. Her giving. We almost died together. <laughs> and then a f- couple years later, I drowned. And she saved my life. And it's just like, you know. Have you experienced <laughs> other situations Uh, throughout your life where it's not necessarily like a near-death experience where like you actually died and came back but situations where like you recognize hey that was really close to something bad i was almost falling off of a cliff i mean no you know what i mean yeah no i mean like i was in a rollover accident with my mom (laughs) i know um do you ever feel like Final Destination is like playing out in your life? No, I feel like I, I, I feel like I've come so close in my early childhood that I don't feel invincible, but I guess I just don't worry about it. And um, no, I, I haven't really had anything happen that I would qualify as that. Maybe other people with me would be like, "Holy crap, we almost died!" But I'm like, "Meh, we're good." Like, the boat didn't actually sink, or that bomb went off, you know, over there. It's fine. The shooter shot somewhere else. You know, like, I just, I don't know. I'm just not worried about it. I have just spent a life of finding myself... Worrying. Worrying. And in weird situations that, like, most people, I don't think, find themselves in. You definitely have, 
from our conversations, like you definitely are a weird magnet. You are. Let's just cover like a couple things. Whenever I was probably four or five, my grandparents had just bought a boathouse. We were staying in the camper in the back of the pickup truck. Uh, eventually, we would start sleeping in cots inside the boathouse at night, which was really freaky as a little kid. Mm-hmm. But at the time, <laughs> I, I, I barely remember this. My grandfather was using basically, if you can imagine, a handle for like a shovel mm-hmm. with a sharpened blade on the end of it to cut the weeds and the grass around the edge of the water out okay. in front of the boathouse. I was behind him, uh, not really in a safe position, but I was behind him. <laughs> My grandmother was there. What I remember is her screaming. Mm-hmm. She screamed. My grandfather wheeled around. And what happened, she screamed because she saw a water moccasin coiled in front of me. When she screamed and he wheeled around... The water moccasin struck at me, and the blade literally cut the snake in half as it was striking towards me as he turned around and, like, fell at my feet. I can't count that as a near-death experience, okay? I I feel like you can. It may have not hit me. I feel like, you know, you can. It may have not injected me with venom. However, it is a water moccasin. Those are very deadly, very venomous. Uh, we're at a location where, like, the nearest hospital's like, 45 minutes away. Yeah. I was a little baby, you know, a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just by chance. She saw it and screamed, and he wheeled around and just happened to cut it in half as he wheeled around. Luckily, not striking me, because yeah. that could have been... A whole new issue. A whole new issue. <laughs> but that was the first memory I have... Of something happening where I was like, whoa, <laughs> looking back on that, that's that could have been terrifying. really bad. Oh, my God. So now we fast forward, and it's probably eh, two, three years later, maybe. My neighbors, a couple houses down, have a son that's a few years older than me and invite me to the amusement park with them. My grandparents agree. We go to the amusement park. They have this particular ride at the time, shaped like a mushroom. You've probably seen it before, with huge chains hanging down with seats, and you sit in the seats, uh, and it yeah. puts you up in the air and twirls around, and you're like yeah. on a swing, basically. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, this is like early 80s. This is like <laughs> modern day. Yeah. So, it was literally like a seat with a chain that like drapes across your waist, mm-hmm. and chains going up to this thing. It probably picked you up, I don't know, 20 feet up in the air. I'm a kid. Shouldn't be on the ride, I'm sure. But I've always been a big guy. I was a big kid. So as a kid, I got to do a lot of things I wasn't supposed to Mm -hmm. because I looked older than I actually was. So I'm on this ride, (laughs) and I start sliding out of the seat. We're talking full momentum, swinging around. And I literally have, I can I can still feel the sensation. The chain that went across my waist is now the only thing holding me into the seat. My legs are completely out. I'm dangling. 
I'm hung up by my arms. It's digging into my armpits and cutting me underneath my chin. Like I can feel it. People start screaming, start freaking out. There's a ride operator that sits in a little room in the middle of this tower. Mm -hmm. He can't see me until I swing around, you know, Mm -hmm. past him. I don't know. It seemed like for, I mean, I'm sliding, I'm freaking out. I'm screaming. I'm bawling my eyes out. People are screaming, trying, waving their arms, everything. The guy finally sees me, stops the machine, lowers it back down. Everything's fine. They did, however, remove the ride the next year. I'm not saying it was because of me, mm-hmm. but they did remove that ride. Okay, you asked me if you think Final Destination is like... That's why I asked me. the question. Yeah, no, you, though, for yeah. sure. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so, always... we'll just skip all the other little things that have happened and go straight to May 22nd, 1999. Matt's an artist. The reason I say that is because... On that particular day, I was getting up and I was going over to my cousin's sister-in-law's house and I was going to paint her name on her bedroom wall for her. Mm -hmm. She was paying me to do this. She was dating my best friend at the time who was going to come pick me up. I've always had allergy problems, Mm -hmm. uh, breathing problems, surprise, surprise. On this particular day, I was very congested, so I used some nasal spray, some Afrin. This is important. (laughs) This is not an ad for Afrin. This is not an ad for Afrin. (laughs) And you can go back and check this information, and you'll see that I am telling you the truth. So Afrin comes in several style of bottles, dispensers. One type had like a, a pump type dispenser like a syringe Mm -hmm. that shot a fine mist Mm -hmm. of product up your nose and the cap to this particular bottle was basically the size and shape of a 22 caliber bullet very small so i'm waiting for him to pick me up i go to the bathroom get in the medicine cabinet take out the afrin and what do i do i Pull the lid off with my teeth. Remember your teachers in school (laughs) telling you not to chew on things? Your parents telling you not to chew on things? Kids, this is why you don't chew on things. I had the cap in my mouth, took a squirt, drained down the back of my throat, and I coughed. (laughs) Oh, no. Something that people don't realize when you cough, you actually inhale rapidly right before you do it. Yep. I inhale, the cap instantly goes straight down my throat. I can feel the cap lodged in my throat. It's not going down all the way. It's kind of choking me. For the next 10 minutes, I'm panicking. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to shove my fingers down my throat and gag myself, thinking I can throw up and expel it. Wrong hole. I'm trying to reach it and pull it out. I can't get to it. It's too deep, but I can feel it. Mm-hmm. So then we'll go the other way. If I can't get it out that way, we'll go the, start drinking water as much as I can. Nothing. It's nothing. I, I don't know the physiology at this point. You know, I, I don't realize that like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> it didn't go down your food hole. <laughs> so then I'm really freaking out. I'm breathing 
just enough to, to stay conscious. Yeah, to not die yet. My chest starts feeling really weird. I'm pressing on my chest, and it feels like bubble wrap. Oh, my God. I have tiny air bubbles underneath my flesh on my chest. I don't know what's going on. I tell my grandparents, you know, hey, I've got this thing stuck in my throat. I can't get it out. I'm hacking. I'm coughing. I'm trying to do the Heimlich on myself over a chair. Like, anything I can think of, like, nothing's working. At that time, my friend pulls up in the driveway. I just walk straight out, and I'm like, you got to take me to the hospital right now. Load up. Which hospital do you want to go to? At this particular time, there was a hospital that was very nearby. They have since shut down. Um, Not that great of an establishment. (laughs) We'll get to that. Um, So he takes me to the hospital. Uh, I grabbed my wallet before I left. I didn't have any insurance or anything. I didn't, you know. Yeah. I hadn't completely gotten dressed yet for the day so like i'm wearing like sweatpants some house shoes i think like an old raggedy Mm t-shirt and i come walking into the emergency room and all i've got is my wallet and i just like walk up to the desk and like i swallowed a cap here's my wallet get it out you know (laughs) like i'm dying the lady wants me to fill out paperwork and ask me some questions should have said chest pain Uh, you know (laughs) i'm thinking i've got something stuck in my throat i'm choking to death yeah there's some how about you lady how about you climb over the counter and save my life right now you work in the hospital right i'm trying to get help she's asking me questions and i was like all my information everything that i have is in that wallet here it is i don't care you can go through it like I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm freaking out, you know? Well, by this time, it had lodged in my throat where now it's putting strain on my vocal cords. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking funny. My voice has changed. I don't know the whole process. I just know that, like, I'm sounding different. I'm very lightheaded. I'm trying to convey all this. This woman asked me, sir, are you mentally challenged? And I'm like... Uh, no, I'm choking. <laughs> and she's like, well, you're talking funny and you're not making a lot of sense. And I was, because I'm choking on something. I'm getting mad at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, no offense, but we need to give you a drug test before we can administer you. And starts explaining to me how sometimes homeless people will come in off the streets or drug addicts will come in off the streets trying to get drugs from them and nothing's wrong with them. Hmm. I know what every I know what you're thinking. I know No, I didn't sue them. We'll just cut to the chase. <laughs> didn't sue them. I'm furious though. But at this point I'm more concerned about my life. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, drug no problem. Whatever. I don't you know, whatever we need to do. They take me back, put me on a bed, hand me a peacup. I'm choking this whole time. So like I just not to interrupt, I'm sorry, but from a logical standpoint, let's say, let's just say you are a homeless person coming in off the street because you want drugs. What are they going to give you for not being able to breathe? They're going to None give you a made, breathing treatment? Yeah. Why would a homeless person want a breathing treatment if None they can get good drugs? Sense. I mean, that, okay, continue. None I'm sorry. of it made that, any sense. Really? I, 
I, I didn't get any of it. I didn't understand. So finally, here comes a doctor. <laughs> He's got a portable X-ray cart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they like have me lay down just right there on the bed and like put like a lead apron thing on me with a hole cut out of it. I don't know. And was, they did an X-ray right there on the bed. Mm-hmm. They're like looking at it on the monitor as they're doing it, and they're like, "Are you sure that you swallowed something? Did you cough it up? Because we're not seeing it." And I was like, uh, "No, it's still there. It's plastic. I can feel it in my throat." So they leave. They come back. Now I'm really scared. They come up with this cart. It's got all these drawers and a label on the side of it that says trait kit lovely now i know what that means (laughs) i knew a guy Mm -hmm. that was in a very bad car accident Mm -hmm. and had to get a tracheotomy Mm -hmm. i did not want one that was scary yes that's what i went to sleep to they had me lay back injected me had me count back you know i think i made it to seven and i was out my next memory I wake up. I can't open my eyes. It's coming out of like a deep fog, like whenever you're passed out and you're waking up, how you your senses are starting to turn on and you're mm-hmm. starting to understand what's going on around you. So I can hear people around me. Mm-hmm. And I hear at the time what was the doctor's voice and I didn't realize it. And he would say, open, close. And every time he said close, I would cough. I would feel the urge to cough. What was happening at the time that I found out later, they had a thing down my throat Mm -hmm. and they were trying to grab it Mm -hmm. like a little grabber thing. Right. And he was telling his nurse to open and close the device whenever he had it in position. And for whatever reason, whenever that thing would close, it would make me cough. Well, now I realize... As it advances, more and more open and close, I'm becoming more and more awake Mm. and realizing I don't think I'm supposed to be awake yet. Mm -mm. I freak out. I mean, absolutely freak out. And I just start swinging and flailing my arms. They freak out. (laughs) They, you know, hey, get over here, get a hold of them. I still can't open my eyes. I'm like that out of it that I can't open my eyes, but my body is already responding, you know. Yeah, fight or flight. Yeah. I feel people holding me down, holding my legs down, holding my arms down. Give them another shot of whatever. I don't know what. I'm starting to go under again, and I feel the left side of my chest just fall. It was like... My lung had collapsed. Mm -hmm. That's what had happened. Yeah. And I hear the doctor say, oh, shit, I hit his lung. Then, as I'm drifting off, I hear the freaking machine alarms go off. I was dead for seven minutes uh, because of the procedure and what was going on. They already had life support machines and everything there ready to go. Mm-hmm. So they just 
hook me up to the machines. Two days later, I woke up uh, in an ICU room. <laughs> I had a feeding tube going up my nose. I had respiratory tubes going down my throat. I had uh, lung machines on each side of me with chest tubes. Mm. IVs in both arms, <laughs> mm-hmm. catheter, uh, even had the little inflatable things that keep your legs. Mm-hmm. Blood you, circulation. Yeah, like every, anything that they had, I was hooked up to. This is the first time in my life I'm in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And this is my, my trip so far. While I was out, and I can't say, was it... A dream? Was it the drugs? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you when it happened. All I know is it happened between the time that I went unconscious in the room. It happened between then and when I woke up in ICU. Mm-hmm. I had heard people talk about near-death experiences. I had heard people talk about a tunnel and on seeing the light and all that. I had also heard a man on Oprah, I believe, <laughs> talk about going to hell mm-hmm. and coming back. I wasn't a believer in any of that. But in fairness, I will say that I did hear stories, had knowledge of it. Mm-hmm. What I remember, I was in a room. I couldn't tell you anything else that was in the room. There was a doorway. I walked to the doorway. To the left of me, there is, I guess, what you would call a light, but it's far away and up in the air at an angle, kind of like whenever you're underwater swimming and you can see the sunlight through the top of the water. Mm -hmm. To the right, the corridor just kept going. I turned right and went down the corridor. Uh, Everything was... This is one of the hardest things to explain. Everything was in shades of brown, bronze, gold, like the gold brown. I call them harvest color spectrum. Mm -hmm. The color was washed out. It wasn't black and white and it wasn't fully color. There was people standing on each side of the corridor. I say corridor. I can't really say hallway because it didn't look like a hallway. It was shaped like a hallway. I didn't recognize any of the people. Don't have any clue who they were. I go for a little ways down the hallway. I'm trying to find my way out. I look over and standing, kind of leaned up against the wall. Kind of, I don't remember. It, it was my cousin's daughter. She was like two years old maybe in real life (laughs) at that time yeah i walked over to her and i knelt down to her and i told her everything was going to be okay went back turned back into the doorway that i came out of woke up in icu to me that all happened immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember the emergency room. 
me going under, hearing the machines. I am at the door. There's the corridor. I go back in the door and I wake up in ICU. And I'm asking, where's Autumn, my cousin's daughter? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I can't talk. I've got these tubes down my throat. So I'm like, you know, making noises and like, it was just so strange. I, (laughs) I eventually was able to work out to the nurse that I wanted a paper on like a clipboard Mm -hmm. and something to write with. And I was so out of it. I mean, they had me on like morphine drip, you know? Mm -hmm. I had to like, I couldn't remember how to spell anything. I couldn't remember how to write letters. And I'm trying to like get these messages that to me at the time were like the most important thing Mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. Hindsight, they didn't matter. They didn't make sense to anybody. (laughs) Somebody, there was a kind of a felt board thing on the shelves next to my bed and somebody that had visited me while I was unconscious uh, had pinned a little angel pin there Mm -hmm. like a little cherub and I was very fixated on that I don't know who did it (laughs) Yeah. so eventually tubes come out of my throat all that stuff all fun stuff Mm. you know like i got news for you people (laughs) whenever you're in icu (laughs) and they want to for instance remove tubes Mm -hmm. there's no build-up or anything to it there's no okay we're gonna knock you back out and do that they oh no (laughs) rip the tape off and yank them out i Mm -hmm. mean you're already as worse as you can get what had happened was i found out that i was actually basically in a coma i I don't know what else you would call it Mm -hmm. i was asleep for a day and a half right um i went in there on thursday and woke up on saturday that screwed with me right there you know like what do you mean like (laughs) where did friday go i was just unconscious the whole time eventually my cousin came up there to visit and i asked him about autumn and he's like, oh, yeah, man, we were up here. But, you know, you were in the emergency room. And then after that, you know, they moved you in here into ICU and everything. And, like, they wouldn't let us come up here or anything. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, she was here. But she was on a different floor in a different part of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, she wasn't allowed up here. And I was like, okay. That's kind of weird, you yeah. know. Because at this point, I'm thinking... I was just coming in and out of consciousness and I had seen her there or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in the hospital. I'm in ICU for 10 days. While I'm in there, I meet one nurse. Uh, They're coming around and checking on me around the clock, 24 hours, taking blood like every hour, every Mm -hmm. 45 minutes, something like that. I don't know the procedures. I'm throwing a fit, you know, like, why don't you just let me sleep? Yeah. They're like, no. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) So I'm talking to this nurse. It's in the middle of the night. There's a storm. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to this nurse. And he is there getting my blood. And I'm telling him about what had happened. Because I'm wanting to kick this doctor's ass. Yeah. I'm telling people that work there 
all this information about what happened yeah that later on was verified that nobody knew happened yeah but the doctor knew it happened the doctor that did the procedure and punctured my lung which was a total accident of course went on vacation that next day and didn't come back until he signed my release papers i never saw him again yeah um so this nurse guy that i'm talking to that's taking my blood and i'm telling him and everything he's just kind of like shaking his head and he like looks around closes the door and starts telling me how he currently has a lawsuit against the hospital and i'm like what happened and he's like let's just he wouldn't go any specifics or anything he had contracted something very bad while he worked there and that's all he would say and at the time he's like taking my blood so i'm kind of like what (laughs) so he leaves after he's gone for about an hour or so this other male nurse comes in and he's like hey matt how are you how are you feeling and you know at the time feel like crap i'm trying to get out of icu and get into a regular hospital room Mm -hmm. my fever won't go down there's nothing they can do Mm -hmm. you know they're just like until your fever goes down we can't move you to a regular room right and you're i was like well can't you give me something to bring my fever down they're like you're in icu yeah like we've given you everything Everything. you can have anyway so he comes in and he's asking i'm talking to him about that he's like i was here the night that this happened i was part of the team and he was like you know you're really lucky you had like 24 percent chance of like coming out of this holy crap yeah i can't remember the guy's face he was i would say in his 30s mm-hmm. i remember he had a necklace on that was just like a leather strap with like a seashell on it like a little puka shell mm-hmm. very nice guy made me feel very comfortable whenever i was talking to him and everything next day my mom comes up there we're talking i'm like yeah this nurse said that he was here like you know whenever it all went down and that like i had like a 24 percent chance of making it. she was like yeah that's what the doctors told us and she was like do you remember his name and i was like no i i don't think i even got his name i was like the only thing i remember specifically he had like a necklace with like a seashell and she was like i talked to that guy he like came and talked to me and told me how you were doing and everything whenever it happened and she was like he really reminded me of mike which was a friend of hers her best friend that had passed away years ago Mm -hmm. so the reason i bring this up i'm finally leaving icu after 10 days moving to a regular hospital room Woo! (laughs) (laughs) there's this head nurse of icu who whenever this all started i didn't like her Mm -hmm. she seemed very cold very crass eventually i realized she has to be you know but she helped me get through some things (laughs) one of the big things there is i don't know how to explain it any other way other than i was 22 years old at the time and i'm in icu Mm -hmm. everybody around me is dying right lots of old people lots of people not making it and i could feel death i could feel people departing 
and I knew that I needed to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And she came in after she had been like so cold and everything one night and talked me through all of that. Yeah. Which was very weird. By this point, the chest tubes are out. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, get me out of here. Yeah. As we're leaving, there's that head nurse. Hey, that male nurse that wears the seashell necklace, like my mom's with me. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, can you tell him thank you? Or can we get his name? We'd like to give him a card or something. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody matches that description. We have a lab tech that's male that takes your blood. And I was like, yeah, I, I know him. But the other guy, no, no, I was here the night that you came into ICU. There was no male nurses. No, everyone was female. We don't, no clue who we're even talking about. So for the next four days, I'm in a hospital room mm-hmm. and I'm like asking everybody, you know, my mom is calling the hospital trying to get information of everybody that was on duty and like, right, this guy doesn't exist, just does not exist. Nobody knows who he is. So again, can I say that was something going on there? Was that a ghost? Was it a guardian angel? What? What? I don't know. Maybe people just the hospital's kind of screwy anyways. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just worked there and nobody knew who he was. I don't know. It was just really weird because. I talked to him in my ICU room. <laughs> yeah. He gave me an exact percentage that the doctor had given my mom that hadn't been told to me yet. Right. So then, yeah, still going. <laughs> it was a big deal whenever I got moved to my room. And I, at this point, like, I get to my room. I can walk now, but they're wheeling me around in a wheelchair. So they wheel me into the room. My grandparents are there. My mom's there. I get up to get into my bed. Well, you know how they have like the places to plug in like oxygen and stuff, and then they'll have like a light bar that goes across the top of the bed. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular light bar was probably six and a half feet high off the ground. Mm-hmm. It was taller, it was higher up than I am tall. Mm-hmm. My grandparents and my mom watched me do this. I walked over to my bed and I reached up on top of it. All subconsciously. I reached up on top of it and felt around and there was a piece of paper laying up there. And I pulled the piece of paper down and it was a prayer about guardian angels. I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I reached up there. I just felt compelled to do it. Four days later, I'm out of the hospital. A couple days after that, I'm watching the Blair Witch freaking out. High as hell on pain pills. <laughs> <laughs> and that's my story of my near-death experience. So, 99, that happened. Uh, that following November was when my best friend got killed, the Native American that I've talked about. Mm-hmm. And then we buried him on my other friend's birthday, that we are all best friends. Mm-hmm. And then... That following January, my great-grandfather, who was like the father figure in my life, died, and we buried him three days before my birthday. The last trip he took to the hospital was to that hospital. I went and visited him in ICU. His ICU room was next 
to my ICU room mm-hmm. where it had been. And then whenever he got moved out of ICU to a regular hospital room, his hospital room was the one that was directly across the hall from where my hospital room had been. Mm-hmm. And this is a big hospital. Like, this isn't, yeah. you know. So I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. And also very difficult to go back and visit and see yeah. him in that state and go through all the emotions of right. whenever I was there. But that's my story. Are you so glad that hospital shut down? So glad. <laughs> I mean... So, so glad. Okay. And now my idiot stepkids, well, my stepson, last summer, that was the big thing for them. There's ways to get into the old abandoned hospital and go looking around and oh my God. freaking each other out. But yeah. Mm. Uh Died for seven minutes, had a 24% chance of making it, and here I am. Here you are. So, I, too, have a face death head on, only I'm still terrified of it for some reason. You were older when yours happened. Yeah. But? There was just lots of little weird things. I don't know. Just spending that much time in the hospital and everything. Hospitals are weird places. Weird things happen there. They are. I mean, so basically what you could take away from all of this is... Don't chew on things. You and I are actually zombies. Yeah. I mean, like, we're legit zombies. So here's another thing. The cap. (laughs) The cap that killed me. Never got it back. The doctor kept it. There was this other doctor that took over because Mm -hmm. that one went on vacation. Right. And he told me, he said, do you want it back? And I was like, not really. why Why the hell? The doctor kept it in a little thing on his desk. Isn't that weird? That is weird. So the cap, the problem was, it was smooth plastic and shaped like a twenty-two bullet and was right. like the same size. Mm-hmm. First, they tried to vacuum it out, and they hooked the machine up wrong and blew it deeper into my lungs. <laughs> that's, I'm not laughing I know. at you, but <laughs> I, I mean, know. like... So that's the reason that all of this happened. Then they got the little claw machine out. Yeah. And we're trying to use that. And I imagine it was still inside me whenever I woke up and started flipping out and everything. And then he moved it. And whenever he moved it, after getting me sedated and everything, he cut my lung open. That's the only thing I can figure how it actually went down. However, the Afrin company changed the style of that cap within the year. Also Easter eggs. Yeah. Easter eggs. When I was little, it right. was a piece of plastic all the way around, and now they have holes in them. Mm-hmm. So you can In breathe. case they get swallowed by some child, like 22-year-old Matt. And <laughs> Also, the reason the little hole exists in the ballpoint pen caps. Yeah. That's now a thing, because of Matt. I'm just saying. I'm blaming you. If you happen to buy Afrin in the pump mist spray, <laughs> you'll notice the cap is ridged. Mm-hmm. And large for her pleasure. <laughs> I had to. I had to. You know what's funny is when you started this story, I flashed back to last summer. I was driving down the road with my mom. We had just come from swimming somewhere. And I was having allergy problems because we're in East Texas. And I grabbed my nasal spray, <laughs> stuck it up my nostril, and gave it all I had. <laughs> snorting you know you snort as soon as yeah. you spray yeah except i couldn't figure, <laughs> couldn't figure out 
So my story is different than yours. Uh, probably. You swallowed the cap. I snorted the cap because I forgot to take the cap off. Why isn't this working? I did. I was like, I, mean, I was snorting hard. And the cap was in my I pulled the bottle out, trying to figure out why it was working. It wasn't working, and realized the cap is stuck in my nose at that point because I'd snorted the cap. So I thought that's where you were going with your story, but apparently, nope. Yeah. We are we are not the same. I just think, I mean, you know, you said I don't know if it was the drugs or whatever. I had some f- really messed up hallucinations on drugs, like on after surgery. Mm-hmm. Yours was more organized than mine see the okay so i had thoughts after i get out of the hospital i'm buying an army green dodge durango that was where my focus was right that's what the drugs did mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like that was my level of thinking that's where i was where i was going with it was mm-hmm. like your experience was so controlled and organized it was like here's this here's this you talk to this you know it was confusing but it it doesn't sound very dreamlike to me because it was so controlled where my thoughts I was coming out of surgery and I had this dream of a black horse with a mane of blood and there was like hellfire around me (laughs) I think you went down a different hallway (laughs) but I wasn't I couldn't see anything except for the horse Mm -hmm. and fire behind him and he had red eyes and I woke up and I was telling Ricky about this dream, and it was pertinent that I tell him about this dream. And I told him in great detail about this horse, only to wake up again. And I looked at him, and he said I woke up and I looked pissed, and I was glaring at him. Because I had dreamt that I had told him, and now I had to tell him all again, and I was mad. <laughs> that is the delusions I had whilst unconscious due to anesthesia. You know weird horse with blood mane fire rah, weird shit yours is like corridors of light and brown plaid nightmares <laughs> like that's all i got from that by the way it was a bad 70s sitcom yeah. like that's all i got <laughs> the weird thing to me about it was that that's what happened there was a light there was some sort of thing that could be described as a tunnel you have all these other people that have come back from death had near-death experiences that have also described that Mm -hmm. now like i said i never really bought into it i always thought you're laying in a hospital bed you're out of it there's a light right above you you know you're gonna get tunnel vision like the chemical reactions in your brain like all of it that's where my head was at with it then i experienced it or whatever it was that i experienced i didn't know i was in a near-death experience i didn't know that I had naturally died for seven minutes. Yeah. So it's weird that my brain would trigger to have that vision Mm -hmm. and associate it with that situation. And at the same time, it's not exactly like how I had envisioned it, hearing other people talk about it. Right. And all of the other stuff, like I don't remember any dreams that I had while I was in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I did. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but like everything else is just like normal. And then this is like separate from all that internally. In my own mind, this event, I mean, you saw it. It, Here it is. It's been over 20 years. Mm -hmm. 
I still get choked up every time I think about it happening. Yeah, it's a deep emotional response. Why, you know? Yeah. Why is it that way? Why do I still remember it clearly and vividly as it happened whenever everything else about the experience is, I know this happened, I can kind of remember this, Mm -hmm. you know, but like... That's clear as day. Yeah. Is there something? I mean, I experienced something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, why did I see my cousin's little girl there and she locked eyes with me and I was more concerned my concern like I said I went and knelt down to and you know I got emotional telling it the first time yeah Um, but you wanted her to the whole thought process was I don't want her to be scared right like I don't know who any of these people are I you know I wanted to let her know everything's okay don't be afraid Mm -hmm. and then after I did that it was very important for me. I got to go back and get back yeah. to wherever I was. Yeah. And that's what I did. I mean, not to downplay the near-death experience part, but do you think maybe your subconscious, like you were in a, it sounds like a medically induced coma or just a coma. Your body was recuperating. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could hear the 24% and you could hear things and your subconscious, you know, made this decision like you you manifested this thing and you worked out basically in your brain like, OK, am I dying? Do I want to die? I don't know if I want to die. Oh, hey, there's my cousin's daughter. Oh, my God. Like, I need to stay. I love her and I need to stay for those people that I love. And so you went back and you you woke up. Obviously, I don't know. Yeah. That's the crazy thing about the subconscious. Yeah. You know, the amazing power of the human mind. I'm so glad that you had this nice brown plot experience <laughs> and I had blood horses. Okay. Well, what I can tell you, whenever my cousin was there and his daughter was there, I was I hadn't come out of the emergency room yet. Mm. And then I was in ICU and she wasn't allowed up there. I don't know. Is it possible? Yes. I have to say, yeah. Of course, it's possible. However, I didn't remember him being there. I didn't remember anybody being there. Right. People were coming to ICU to visit me. It was a really weird deal. ICU doesn't allow visitors. Yeah. They allow immediate family. Right. They don't have TVs in the rooms. I had TV. I had visitors. <laughs> I, You know, because I was like a kid, basically, to them. Yeah. They're like, you know. Let's let this kid have whatever he wants and get him out of here. We screwed up and he yeah. almost died also, but you know. So, yeah. Yeah, that I would have to say yes, that of course is possible and that gives a very uh plausible scientific explanation to it. However, in my heart, the feeling is too the real. The feeling is just yes. it's too real. And uh one of the visitors that was there was my dad my actual biological father somehow my mom had contacted somebody that got a hold of him and i didn't know my dad i had talked to him once on the phone at that point in time i only met him once so him being there years later finding out that he was there Mm -hmm. was a really big deal yeah and i would think (laughs) maybe i'm wrong but out of everything as opposed to my cousin's daughter, you know, mm-hmm. that my dad being there would have stood out to me. And yeah, that's where my head would have gone. 
because that's where it went after I found out that he had been there. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I literally made him tell me like, okay, well, where was I? Where was the room? What did the room look like? You know, like mm-hmm. I didn't believe it. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's, it's, I mean, for me, you know, there's always this scientific reason for anything or a reason. You can come up with a reason for anything that happens, but go with your gut. If you have this gut reaction that this was something, because as a Bigfoot researcher, if something happens, the first thing I try to do is scientifically come up with any possible thing it could be. Mm-hmm. Anything, any valid reason why this thing happened. And sometimes there just isn't one. And sometimes it is what it is. And at that time, I usually have a gut feeling, a strong feeling that this is what it is. So when it comes to an experience like yours, it could be your subconscious, it could be your psyche, it could whatever. And it was a very emotional time. Mm-hmm. But you didn't get emotional about any of the rest of it. Right. Just that piece. And I, I feel like trust your gut. Go with your gut. I, if, if you don't feel like it was a subconscious or scientific reason for whatever, you know, for me, that's got to go with your gut. Only you know what it feels like in that situation to have that, have had that experience and how you feel about it now. And no matter what science tells you or anyone else could tell you about subconscious, blah, 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 mm-hmm. you have to go with your gut. I'm one of those type of people that thinks... I don't understand exaggeration. I don't understand over-exaggeration. Right. Because to me, you can find amazement in just the truth. Mm-hmm. The truth is, no matter what, I had a freak accident where I choked on a cap, died for seven minutes after the doctor punctured my lung because I woke up during the procedure, mm-hmm. spent 10 days in ICU, hooked up to chest tubes, Another four days in the hospital, had a 24% chance of making it. And made it. And made it. That's an amazing story. Yeah. That's an amazing event. There's nothing that you need to add to that to make it right. fantastical, you know? And I'm saying, this while all that was going on, these things happened. And not only have they stuck with me ever since, mm-hmm. I mean, they're there with me every day. I came out of that place a different person. Don't chew on things, my friends, because you never know when a freak accident could happen on Planet Fear. Go ahead and show us some love on whatever platform you're using to listen, and check out our website, planetfearpodcast.com, for ways to follow us on social media, contact info, and more. As always, we thank you for listening, stay safe, and we'll catch you next time on Planet Fear. Bada bing, bada boom.